for God's people, the day's coming, we're gonna live and rule and reign with him, but until that day comes, we're trying to figure out what does it look like to be in that kingdom while it's still existing in a messy world, right? That's kind of where we are today in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in a sermon series in Matthew's Gospel called Different, and we, we, we're calling it different because Jesus is a different kind of king, and, and when he invites you into his kingdom, it's a different kind of kingdom. And by the way, the only way you get into that kingdom is by faith in his son, Jesus, that he took your place at the cross. He died for your sin to reconcile you to God. And when you enter into the kingdom of God, when you follow Jesus into that kingdom, he makes everything about you different. And we're in this part of the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter five called the Sermon on the Mount. And so far what we've seen is that in the kingdom, Jesus makes your attitude different and Jesus makes your purpose in life different. Jesus makes the way you think different. And today we get into a section here in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is gonna deal with this. In his kingdom, he makes the way that you relate to the people around you very, very different. So what Jesus is gonna do in these verses today that we're gonna look at is he's gonna give us some real practical examples, just practical examples of what life looks like for Christ's followers in this world Practical examples of what life looks like in his kingdom while we're still living in the middle of this messy world. What does a kingdom person's life look like? At seven o'clock Monday morning, when you and the family overslept a little bit and, and Junior can't find his shoes and his little sister right before he walked out of the door spilled chocolate milk right down the middle of her shirt on picture day, no less. How does the kingdom person respond in that kind of moment? How does the kingdom person respond when you're sitting at that red light, waiting on the green arrow that says you can go left, and you're parked behind that car that's got the other team's bumper sticker on it, or the other political candidate's name on it, or that cute little coexist sticker on it, and you're waiting, and that light turns green, and they don't budge because they're all into whatever on their phone at that time. How does the kingdom person respond in that moment? How does a kingdom person respond tonight when something comes up on the screen of your device and it's inviting you to click on it? What does a kingdom person do in that moment? What does a kingdom person's life look like when telling the truth would be a more difficult path for you to take than just fudging a little bit with a little white lie? What's a kingdom person's life look like at that intersection? How does a kingdom person respond when they're gossiped about? How does a kingdom person respond when they're lied about? How does a kingdom person respond when they find themselves being unfairly treated? Well, these are some of the things that Jesus wants us to see today in this part of his sermon. And he's not teaching these things for us today just to have some principles of knowledge that we just kind of walk out of here today going, well, I, I know more stuff. No, this is the king talking to his kingdom people. And he said, I'm gonna give you this knowledge and I'm gonna give you this truth because I want it to go to your heart and I want it to be applied outwardly into your life. I want this to affect your everyday living from that 7 a.m. mishap in the morning with your family to whatever else the day may have in store because the king is calling us, the people in his kingdom, to reflect who he is 
in this messy world that you and I find ourselves living in. That's what Jesus is after here today. Jesus wants you and I to know how we're gonna live in this crazy world that we're in. Six times today, Jesus is gonna say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And what Jesus is doing there is he's saying, listen, you've conformed your thinking a certain way. You've kind of embraced living in a certain way, but Jesus will say, but you've missed the point. You've missed the heart behind all of that. Jesus is gonna unpack for us today what kingdom living looks like in our messy world, and he's gonna use these six examples to get his point across. Now look, each of those six examples could be a sermon to itself. In fact, most of my life, when I've heard preachers preach through the Sermon on the Mount, this is what they did. They took one of these topics and they spent weeks on one of those topics. But we're not gonna do that today because I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. And you're gonna get a little frustrated probably at some of the points along the way. But you're gonna wanna go, hey, hold up, I got questions. What do you mean by that? Can you explain that a little bit more? But we're not gonna do that. Our tendency as people is we wanna have all the answers to the questions. Our tendency as people is we want a real clean, very clearly understood definition of the rules. So I can know how to navigate the rules and nuance the rules and try to walk through the rules. But Jesus here in these verses, he's not laying out a new list of rules. And I think we'd miss the point if that's what we try to create, and if that's what we try to go after, and this is why. If we take what Jesus is saying here and we just make it another list of rules and to-do list, we will end up doing the very opposite of what he's trying to do in this passage. He's got the Pharisees around him and he's trying to get them away from checking boxes and rule keeping outward behavior modification. He's trying to get them to the heart. And so if we want this to become a list of rules, then we run the risk of landing our lives at the very same place where the Pharisees were. Now we've got a clear list of the new rules and the boxes to check and how to Form, conform ourselves to that externally. That's not what Jesus is doing. His point here is, I wanna peel those layers back. I'm not abolishing the law, but I'm peeling the layers of it back to get to the core of it, to the heart of it, and at the heart of it is the heart. And at the heart of that is love. So let's stick to Jesus' main objective, all right? Even through a little bit of our frustration today. And he's gonna show us a general picture, and you can write this down. This is what kingdom life looks like in a messy world. This is what kingdom life looks like. Yes, one day we're gonna live and rule and reign with him in a perfect world, but that's not happened yet. Now we're ruling and reigning with him in a messy world, in a broken world. So what does that look like? What does kingdom living look like in our messy world? Here's the first example he's gonna give. Example number one, anger. Anger. Verse 21, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, I think you know this, but in case you don't, the angry train is what leads to Murderville. All right, you're never gonna get to the place of murder without first getting to the place of being angry. And that moment, right before you get angry, right, that situation presents itself, and you've got a split second right before you get angry, and you get an opportunity in that moment to decide, am I gonna buy a ticket now to get on the angry train? Or am I not gonna do that? 
And if in that moment you decide, yes, I'm gonna buy the ticket now to get on the angry train as kingdom people, listen, I'm talking to kingdom people, as kingdom people then, you have bought the ticket for the angry train knowing full well it's headed to Murderville. And you say, but pastor, I would never murder anybody. Probably not. But kingdom people have no business on the angry train. You with me? Kingdom people have no business buying a ticket to even get on the angry train. The world says, hey, we wanna stop murder. We wanna stop violence. But you can't stop violence without the anger problem being dealt with, right? It all starts with that. The world says, let's just get along and be nice. And Jesus says, being nice isn't the solution. You gotta be new. You gotta be born again. You need a new heart to live in this messy world with. You need to be made new from the inside out. And by the way, when God causes you to be born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, and then progressively, day after day after day, he's gonna be making you more like King Jesus, more of who he is. When you're in Jesus's kingdom, listen, when you're in Jesus's kingdom, the standard is not, well, it's okay to be angry, just don't kill anybody. That's not the standard. His standard is not, it's okay to ride the angry train, just don't go all the way to Murderville. That's not the standard for kingdom people. Jesus' standard for kingdom people is, you don't even buy the ticket. You don't even get on that train. Kingdom people operate with a godly wisdom that says, I wanna get to the root of what's behind the anger, and that's me, my heart. It's not you that's making me angry, it's the sin nature that's alive in my heart. And that's where I wanna focus my attention. Jesus says next, he says, whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. He's talking about insults now, right? He's not talking about knives and, and guns. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Now, I don't want you to miss out what Jesus is saying here just because he's using the word fool as his example. I know that's not like your go-to obscenity to sling at somebody to express your displeasure at them, and this is really not the place for me to give you more uh, contemporary examples of some top-shelf obscenities that you can throw at people when you're angry, but you just need to know Jesus is using this example to those people because this was the go-to obscenity that you would sling at somebody in that day. Those were fighting words that Jesus said. People were probably actually a little shocked and appalled to hear Jesus talk like that on that hill that day. I could envision mamas like covering their children's ears like, oh my goodness, this guy's so edgy and that's over the top, preacher, right? And so it was uncomfortable, I'm sure, but the point Jesus is making is that when you have anger and you have bitterness or rage in your heart and in your mind and it's on the tip of your tongue, you are not lined up with him. You are not lined up with his kingdom. Now why is that kind of anger, that kind of bitterness, that kind of rage, why is that offensive to God? Well, one, it's offensive to God because it dishonors that human being. It's dishonoring to that image bearer of God. Every insult, every thought of bitterness, every expression of anger toward another individual is nothing more than an attempt to devalue them as a person. It's nothing more than an attempt to try to dehumanize them as a person, to dishonor them as a person. 
But what's even a greater offense to God than that is when we get on the angry train and we have anger and bitterness and hostility toward another person, we are failing to remember the very one who created that person in his image and therefore we are dishonoring their creator. We're dishonoring God himself. When we get angry and we say things to somebody or most of us probably just get angry and say things about somebody to somebody else. And we speak about that person with contempt or malice in our heart. What are we doing? Here's what we're doing. We're trying to cause pain. We're trying to wound. We're trying to hurt. We're we're trying to push somebody out, right? We're trying to isolate someone. We're trying to make someone less than But kingdom people don't do that. This is what Jesus is after. Kingdom people don't do that. Kingdom people don't have time to make war with other people because kingdom people are too busy making war with their own sin in their heart. Kingdom people have their hands full just trying to deal with their own stuff in their heart and do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with their God. Kingdom people don't have time to be angry at other people because kingdom people spend their time constantly trying to uproot every root and vestige of anger that remains in their heart. That's what kingdom people do. Now, how many kingdom people in this room, how many followers of Jesus in this room today would say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I gotta be honest with you because I'm in church and I'm scared of lightning on a sunny blue day. I just gotta tell you, there's still moments, man, in my life that I'm struggling with anger. Raise your hand! Just thought I'd give you an example of what it looks like. (laughs) Right? I think probably most of us struggle with that. So what do you do about that? That's a great question, because I think what most of us have done is we've said, well, I know that God has to change the heart. It has to be a change from the inside out. And so I'm just waiting on God to change me. And and so often, I think as Christ followers, we have these feelings, we have these emotions, we have this anger, we have hostility, we have this bitterness, and we just go, well, you know, that's just my struggle. That's just how I am, you know? Sometimes people even name like their ethnicity. That's just my people, you know? That's just how we are. I come from a long line of people like that. That's just how we are. I'm just waiting on God to change me. Like one day, God's just gonna dump a, dump a truckload of Jesus dust on top of you, then poof, right? All change. Can God do that? Yeah, he could do that. Does God do that? No, that's not typically what God does. So what Jesus says next in the text is big. It's important. You don't wanna miss this. If you want your heart to be transformed by God, You want to be changed from the inside out. You want to live different in his kingdom. You want to live like Jesus. Then your responsibility within this is, watch this, your responsibility is to practice living that out. Your responsibility is to practice. God's responsibility is to give you the power to do it. You practice, and he's going to give you the power to do it. Now I ask you this morning, are you practicing living that way? To get better at anything, you gotta practice. Are you practicing living at peace with other people? Are you practicing living with forgiveness in your relationships with others? 
Are you practicing what it's like to pursue reconciliation? If not, we gotta start practicing. And you may say, well, Pastor Joel, I don't really know what that looks like. Jesus knew you would ask that question today, and so he goes to verse 23. For example, Jesus says, here's what practicing looks like. If you're offering your gift on the altar, You've come to church, you've come here to worship God, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Jesus says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come after, come back and worship God. Then come back and offer your gift. Practice, that's what it means to practice. He'll meet you with power, you just practice. Verse 25, reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge. He's gonna get everything he can get. And the judge to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Here's the point Jesus is making. When you're aware, when you're aware that there's somebody in your world that you're sideways with, they're sideways with you, there's this tension, there's this awkwardness, There's been some history. Maybe there's even been some hate along the way. Your instinct says avoid. Your instinct says pretend. Your instinct says fake it. But Jesus, your king says, no, you step into this difficult moment and you practice. You step into this situation and you practice making peace. You practice showing and receiving forgiveness. You practice pursuing reconciliation. If you want your heart to be changed, then you have to trust in God's power at work in you. You just keep showing up at practice. Hundreds of times every day, stepping into that hard moment, that tense situation, and you just say, Jesus, help me live like you in this moment, and he will unleash the power All you gotta do is just keep showing up to practice again and again, and God will change your heart. When you go to that person and you seek peace, you go to that person, you seek forgiveness and common ground and reconciliation, I promise you as a kingdom person, the power of God is gonna flow into that. When you trust God and you step into the hard things that he's called you to as kingdom people, his power, and don't you want that, Some of you are wondering why you've not just kept growing with the Lord and your relationship with him because you're a baby that keeps doing the same easy things over and over again. God's calling you as kingdom people to the harder things, to step into the hard stuff, the hard places and the power of God's gonna flow. Listen, even if that person doesn't return in kind, they may shut you down. They may flip you off. They may choose not to forgive. They may choose not to reconcile. But when you practice living like Jesus, God's gonna pour out his spirit. He's gonna pour out his power. He's gonna pour out his presence on you and he's gonna change you a little bit more in the process. And then next moment you show up for practice again and you repeat that cycle. This is not on the screen. It's not on your notes, but you might wanna write this down because I did. I wrote it down this morning because it didn't make it onto my notes originally, but I thought I gotta get this in here. When you practice living like Jesus, God will pour out his power. When you practice living like Jesus, God will pour out his power, right? It's not he'll just pour out his power and poof, I gotta step in. I gotta go for it 
hard place, obedient place, God will pour out his power. This is on the nose, it will be on the screen. How to get off and stay off the angry train. Real quick, recognize the root of anger. It's my heart. The guy in front of me at the traffic light is not who made me angry. It's the center of my heart that's made me angry. Recognize the root of the anger. Two, pray for God to change your heart. Ask God for that power. Pray for God to change your heart. Three, then go practice. Go practice living at peace with other people. Who said the Christian life is boring? Ain't nothing boring about that, right? You would probably prefer to be bored than to do that. This is hard. This is kingdom level stuff. Can you imagine if a community of people consistently lived like that? That every time one hint of tension, one hint of awkwardness, one hint of anger, one hint of bitterness, of hostility, of hurt feelings, of division, of awkwardness, of resentment, at one hint of that, people got on that, right? And went before the Lord with it. Can you imagine the grace and the power of God that would flow among the people of God if they live like that? I'm telling you, that's what revival is. That's how revival starts. That's how revival gets sustained because kingdom people get serious about living like the king. The standard in the kingdom of God is not to merely avoid exterior expressions of anger, but the standard in the kingdom of God is to refuse to let the roots of anger grow in our hearts whatsoever. Second example, what does it look like to live in the kingdom in this messy world? Jesus gave the example of anger. Number two, he gives the example of adultery. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Jesus leads off here talking about adultery, just like he led off talking about murder. Like murder, adultery is wicked. Like murder, adultery is destructive. But also, like murder, you don't go from zero to adultery, do you? There has to be a moment that you make a choice. Am I gonna buy a ticket? Am I gonna buy a ticket to get on the train that takes me there, and that train is called lust? Look at what Jesus says. Verse 28, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The moment right before you lust. Now listen, Ladies and gentlemen, you can't stop a nice looking bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest. You with me? And you got a split second moment to decide, am I gonna buy this ticket today to get on the lust train or am I not gonna do that? And if you buy that ticket to get on the lust train, you need to know it's got a lot of different stops on it. It stops off at pornography, it stops off at fornication, it stops off at adultery, it's got a whole bunch of wicked, sexually immoral kind of stops it'll make, and if you decide to get on the lust train as a kingdom person, you do so knowing full well the stops that that train's gonna make. And Jesus is saying, my people have no business on that train. It's not about not just getting to the end of the train ride. Jesus says, you don't even buy that ticket as my people. That's not our train to ride. And just like anger, lust is nothing more than dishonoring another human being. Lust is nothing more than dehumanizing, dishonoring, devaluing another human being who bears the image of God. Lust is simply the objectification of another person, another human being. Lust is looking at a person as if they are nothing more than simply a product that I get to consume for my own selfish purposes. And again, I say to you that when kingdom people treat 
people in this world, regardless of who they may be, it matters not. Every human being is created in the image of God. And I'm telling you that when kingdom people treat others as products to merely be consumed by my anger or by my lust, I am grieving the God who made those people in his image. Jesus is saying that kingdom citizens work against cultivating lust in their heart, just like they work against cultivating anger in their heart. There's work to be done to pull up those roots. Kingdom people make decisions maybe a thousand times a day. I'm not getting on that train. 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 And by the way, kingdom people, you know the best way to not get on that train? Don't go to the ticket booth of that train station. When it comes to this particular sin, the Bible says, here's how you deal with this sin. You flee it. You go the other direction. You go the other way. You run like the wind, bullseye, or you become the bullseye. You know what I'm saying? Look what Jesus says next about lust. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Does Jesus mean that literally? I don't think so, because we'd run out of body parts. I don't think he's meaning that literally. Is self-mutilation the pathway that leads to holiness? Gouging out our eyes and cutting off our hands? No, but listen, I think Jesus is so brilliant here. Because I think Jesus is doing a couple of things. On one hand, no pun intended, on one hand, Jesus is pointing out how ridiculous it is to think that we can see our hearts change by what we do on the outside. It's ridiculous to think that it's an outside-in change when we know it's an inside-out change. It's ridiculous to think that you can modify your behavior and change your heart. It's ridiculous to think that. It's ridiculous, equally, to think that you can modify your body parts and change your heart. It doesn't make any sense. But on the other hand, Jesus is pointing out something else here that's important, which is this. Kingdom people are not passive. Kingdom people are not weak when it comes to fighting their own sin. They get after it. Kingdom people recognize that lust is a destructive force. They recognize that lust is a powerful force. They recognize that it will pull my mind's attention and my heart's affection away from God. Kingdom people recognize that lust is gonna take me further than I wanna go and it's gonna keep me there longer than I wanted to stay. Lust will lead to wreckage in so many ways. A defining characteristic of kingdom people is that they deal swiftly with lust. A defining characteristic of kingdom people is they deal aggressively with lust in their life. They do not underestimate it as their foe. I think we don't need to miss what Jesus is saying here, by the way. I think part of the implication Jesus is making is, is that for kingdom people, it's possible that you can live free from buying the ticket to the anger train. You can live free from buying a ticket to the lust train. But see, some of you have quit believing that because you've struggled with these things for so long. 
And so you quit believing what the Bible says, that if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. You've concluded that you're just gonna struggle with this stuff until the day that you die. But I'm telling you, in Jesus, victory is possible. It's possible. Jesus wants you to live free from objectifying other image bearers of God with your anger or with your lust. And if you will fight against these sins with all the power that God gives you today, he's gonna give you greater power tomorrow. Keep showing up at practice. Keep showing up at practice. Every day, show up at practice. Are you gonna miss some shots at practice? Yeah, but keep showing up at practice and he's gonna keep pouring out power, more power and more power. And we practice more and we get more power. God's so good. Practice and power. What are we talking about? We're talking about what kingdom living looks like in a messy world. Example number three, as if we're not squirming enough already, let's talk about divorce. This is gonna be one of those that everybody wants to ask questions. We're not doing that today, all right? We can have those conversations. Those are valid, good questions to ask. We just wanna follow Jesus right down the line here today, all right? Verse 31, Jesus said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. Listen, back in Moses' day, it was like it is in our day. People were getting divorced, right? Often, left and right. And it was harming lives, harming families, harming society. So God guided Moses to create some stipulations around that. Moses gave the people a law. The law was that if the husband wanted to divorce his wife, there had to be legal reasons and it had to be done legally. Papers would be, re- be required to be drawn up. Th- this was to try to protect the parties involved, in particular to protect the woman who would be the most vulnerable in that situation so that she's not left unprovided for or unprotected. Moses was not encouraging divorce. He wasn't sanctioning divorce. He wasn't even trying to say that God was okay with div- divorce. But God was trying to guide Moses somehow, how do you manage all this sinfulness around you? And so by putting these stipulations in place, the hope was maybe this slows it down, right? Or maybe it even prevents it altogether. He's only merely trying to mitigate the damages that divorce causes in families and in a society. But by the time Jesus gets there, the people had taken this law and they had begun to say anything, any reason under the sun is a legal reason to divorce your wife. So Jesus says, verse 32, but I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus raises the bar here. I know the questions are swirling. Stick with Jesus today, okay? You don't just go divorcing for whatever reason. That's the point we're talking about here. You don't just go divorcing whatever reason you want. When you do that, you're creating a landslide of negative ramifications, not only for your own family, but for other families. Not only for your marriage, but for other marriages and for the community that you're a part of, and for society as a whole, why? Because no man is an island. Your decisions may be your personal decisions, but they affect me and mine affect you. God's concerned about the whole. God's concerned about the community. Community in the mind of God always trumps the individual. 
And God's concerned about the impact this is having on other people. Again, here's what Jesus is doing. Just like with anger, just like with lust, he's calling kingdom people away from selfishness. It's not about you. This is not your story, like we said last week. This is not your story that you get to write however you want to. You don't get to decide, well, I'm gonna lust if I want to. I'm gonna be angry if I want to. Doggone, I'll jump on any train I good and well want to. I'll get divorced if I want to. Not if you're in the kingdom of God. You're not your own anymore. Kingdom people, you're not your own. If you wanna walk away from Jesus today because this sounds too much for you, that's between you and the Lord, but I'm telling you the truth today. In Jesus, you're no longer your own. It's not your story. You've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, the lamb without spot or blemish. We belong to him today, and he's calling us out of this selfishness. Kingdom people don't wanna see divorce happen. Kingdom people do everything they can do that divorce won't happen. They wanna avoid that divorce train that leads to a destination of all kinds of pain and wreckage. The world says, hey, just keep it civil. You can co-parent, and everybody can be nice. But the king says, I didn't come so that you could be nice. I came to make you new. Kingdom people, our standard isn't niceness. Our standard is newness in the Lord Jesus. To be a reflection of him in this world, the power of God gives kingdom people the ability to set self aside. The king gives kingdom people the power to set aside anger and set aside lust and to do the hard work of fighting for marriages and for families and for society. The king has called his people to a higher, to a holy, to a sacred view of marriage. Kingdom people don't look for biblical loopholes to get out of a marriage. Let me say that again. Kingdom people don't look for biblical loopholes to get out of a marriage. Kingdom people look for biblical principles to navigate the hard days in their marriage and the hard stuff in their marriage. What are we talking about today? We're talking about, we're talking about hard stuff. Can, I, can we get an amen? This is hard, right? Thank God we have a king. Thank God we have his spirit. Thank God we have his word. Thank God we have the community and the fellowship of the saints. What are we talking about? We're talking about what does life look like for kingdom people in this messy world, Jesus gives a fourth example. It's manipulation. And your Bible, the heading may say oaths, but it's really not about oaths. It's really about manipulation. I'll show you. Verse 33, Jesus says again, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. Remember what he just said, we're gonna come back. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. So the Pharisees had created this system to manipulate people. The Pharisees had created this system to cheat the system, to lie to people. Here's what they were doing. They said, well, we can't swear by God's name because that's holy. That's about God. But we can swear by Jerusalem. Or we, we can swear by my own head. Or we can swear by my dead grandmother's grave, right? And if we swear by those things, that's not binding. I can get out of that, right? 
And so people were being manipulated. People were being lied to. It's what children do. No, my fingers were crossed. My fingers were crossed. That don't count. That don't count because I, I, didn't, I didn't swear an oath on God's name. I swore an oath on my grandmother's name. So I'm out. I'm out. And you see what this does again? This is selfishness that results in destruction to other people's lives. It's the same kind of stuff Jesus has already been dealing with. It's tremendous and destructive in its impact, just like murder is, just like adultery is, just like divorce is. And some people have wrongly taken what Jesus is saying here to say, we're not to take oaths at all. Well, I think to take that view is really short-sighted. I think if you take that view, then you gotta take the view you should be gouging out your eye and cutting off your hand too. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Furthermore, if he's saying that here, it's inconsistent with everything else that he's about in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not creating a new set of rules. He's not creating a new set of regulations. He's talking about love. He's talking about living from the heart. He's pointing us deeper. We live in a world where we make oaths and promises and vows probably every single day. Just last night, I performed a wedding. Doing a lot of those these days. Love is in the air. And I led Jaron and Ashlyn to say vows to each other, oaths to each other. When you join the military, you're gonna do that. When you testify in court, you're gonna do that. When you sign your mortgage papers, that's what you're doing. When you write a check and you sign it, that's what you're doing. It's not reasonable to think that you can live in relationship with others in this world and not make promises and oaths and vows to each other. It's just necessary in the world that we're living in right now. It won't always be necessary in the world to come. Just like right now, concessions for divorce are necessary in the world that we're in, but there's coming a new world where that's no longer gonna be necessary. What Jesus is saying is that kingdom people should live in such a way that there's no need to attach some other phrase or promise to what they're saying because they speak the truth and they're full of integrity. Here's what he's saying. Kingdom people don't manipulate. That's selfish, like anger is, like lust is, like divorce can be. It is selfish, and God says kingdom people don't do that. The Pharisees and others played like that every day. And they did it just to cheat people, to game the system for their own selfish reasons. And Jesus says, not you, not kingdom people. We don't do that. Our lives are to be marked by truth. It's not wrong for kingdom people to put their hand on the Bible. It's not wrong for kingdom people to put it on their heart and pledge allegiance. I did not lead Jaron and Ashlyn to commit a sin against God in their wedding last night when they took their vows. It's not wrong to sign legal paperwork. It is wrong for kingdom people to do that with a thought in the back of your mind of, well, if I don't keep this, it's okay. That's what's wrong. That's what Jesus is after. That flippant approach to integrity and to truth and embracing of manipulation. Again, what a dishonor that is to God when we treat or mistreat those he's made in his image with our manipulation, with our lies, with our untruths. Kingdom people are not to be manipulators. Kingdom people are to speak clearly, plainly, truthfully. Yes is yes. No is no. We don't spin it. We don't twist it is what Jesus is after. That's how we live in a messy world. Fifth thing. Fifth example Jesus gives, what are we talking about? What kingdom living looks like in a messy world? What about retaliation? What about getting even? 
Verse 38, Jesus said, you've heard that it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I like this one. I like this one, y'all. I'm from Bibb County. I want to bow up. We'll scrap. We'll throw hands. Let's go, right? We're perpetual third graders. He started it. I'm not getting mad. You said not getting mad. I'm getting even. I'm not getting mad. I did that because they did that. I said that because they said that. Yeah, I went on my social media and I posted that because they posted that. And what does that do? You know what that does? That creates an endless cycle of retaliation. Welcome to the year 2023 in America, by the way. Are you, right? I mean, that's what it is. It's this endless cycle of retaliation in this messy world we're living in. And you say, well, fair is fair. Fair is fair. No, no, no. Listen, y'all. We're in the kingdom of God. Who can just say this morning, I am so thankful that the kingdom of God is not built upon fairness. Because if the kingdom of God was built upon fairness, I would not be here today soaking up the oxygen from this beautiful day the Lord has given. I would be in a sinner's hell forever. I'm just thankful in this kingdom. I'm not operating from a place of fairness. Kingdom people, it's not about what's fair. Kingdom people, God has called us beyond fairness. He's called us beyond equity. He's called us to a higher standard. Jesus has set his people free from the need of retaliation. He's delivered us from that. Jesus gives us strength to bear somebody else's sin against us. When they gossip about us, when they lie about us, when they hurt us, they harm us. God has delivered us from retaliation. Look at what Jesus says, verse 39. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. I ain't gonna lie, y'all. I just assume he didn't say this in the Sermon on the Mount. But it's here, and I gotta grapple with this. So do you. But I tell you, he says, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That all sounds a little bit crazy. And Jesus has already used a little bit of the art of exaggeration in his sermon so far to make a point, and maybe there's a little bit of that happening here, but here's his point. Kingdom people don't keep the cycle of retaliation going. Kingdom people are not the gas pedal on the cycle of retaliation. Kingdom people are the uh, brakes on the cycle of retaliation. Kingdom people are called to bring it to an end. And do you know who you are like when you stop the cycle of retaliation, kingdom people? You know who you're like when you stop that cycle? You're like King Jesus. One of his disciples by the name of Peter later writes these words, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you were called to this. He's talking to us. He's talking to saints. You, this is your call. This is what God's called you to. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? Example, example of what? That you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus came to stop the cycle of retaliation. He's not the gas, he's the break. And Peter says, he's your example. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died of sins, we might live for what? Righteousness, welcome to the kingdom. This is what he's called us to. By his wounds, you have been healed. Our king broke the cycle of, of reconciliation, broke the cycle of retaliation so that we might be healed. He's inviting us to also break the cycle of retaliation so others might find healing in Jesus. But as long as we're on the gas, healing from Jesus isn't coming. 
Get off the gas, kingdom people. Get on the brake. Stop the cycle of retaliation. Sixth example. What are we talking about? How kingdom people live in this messy world. Sixth example Jesus gives relates to our enemies. To our enemies. Now imagine you're killing it on one through five. Anger, lust, all that stuff, man, cruising. You are loving people, loving people, loving people. But then there's that guy, there's that person, there's that woman. She still hates you, still yeah, yes, still saying, talking the trash, man. You're still catching flack all the time. It's hurtful, it's harmful. Then what? Here's what Jesus says, love them anyway. Love them anyway. Look at what he says, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be. The better translation says, so that you may prove yourself to be children of your Father in heaven. Here's what your Father in heaven is like. Look at this. He causes his son to rise on evil folks. He makes the gardens of evil folks grow and his own people. Sun shines on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Listen, this is the key. This is the foundation of all that Jesus has said in these verses today. Kingdom of heaven people are simply this. They're people who love. Self, out of the way, now free to love. This is the message of Jesus. They even kingdom people, even with God's power and help, now have the ability to love the most unlovable, our most deeply entrenched enemies. Jesus says, when you live like that, when you love like that, you will be the proof to a watching world that you're the sons and the daughters of God. That'll be the evidence that people are looking for because that's how God loves people. That's how he even loves his enemies. I'm planting my garden next week and so is the atheist. And the same sun's gonna hit my okra that's gonna hit his. And the same rain that hits mine is gonna, get hit, is gonna hit his. You know why? Because that's how good God is. That's the love of God. God shows love and kindness even to his enemies. And kingdom people, God's called us to do the same. We have that purpose to reflect the character and the nature of God in our life in every way possible. And yes, even to our enemies. Look at what he says, verse 46. For if you love those who love you, big deal. Ain't you something. Be sure you get your teacher in Sunday school to give you a gold star for that, all right? Impressive. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? In other words, God has called you and I as kingdom people to live our lives in such a way that there is no earthly or natural explanation for the way that we live. People don't know what to do with us. We, we don't engage the way they, they, they think we're gonna engage. We don't speak and talk and live the way they thought that we would. It's different and they can't explain and all the glory goes to God and God alone. It's his power, his power with me, his power. I'm just showing up at practice, man. I'm just showing up at practice. And he gives power. And he gets all the glory. I just show up at practice. And Jesus is saying, you just keep practicing. 
Just keep stepping into that hard place. Keep trusting me in that hard moment, that hard situation. I know you wanna run from it. I know you wanna bury your head. I, want, I know you're praying it'll just go away. It ain't going away, Jesus says, because I've called you for such a time as this to step into such a thing as that and to practice kingdom living in that place. You don't practice kingdom living in easy kingdom kind of places, right? You practice where it's hard. Jesus says, step into that hard place. You keep practicing. I'll keep pouring out my spirit, my power on you, in you, through you. You just keep practicing one moment at a time, one decision at a time, one place at a time, one person at a time, one step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. And Jesus says, I will be with you. I'll never forsake you. And I will pour out my spirit on you. And I'll change you. Moment by moment. Place by place. So God, would you do that today? I know we've covered so much, Jesus, and wanted to just try to get it the way you laid it out there for us today. And Holy Spirit, if it landed, thank you. Thank you for being our teacher. Thank you for being our guide. Holy Spirit, also thank you for being the one who's convicting kingdom people like myself right now that I really need Jesus. I've been walking in my own flesh, my own effort, my own energy, my own strength. I've been following the wisdom and the ways of the world for how to try to navigate difficult situations, God, and today I just wanna step back and surrender and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to step into this. I need you to fill this with your presence, with your peace, with your power, and I believe that's where we all are today, God, before you, with your heads bowed and eyes closed today. Today, I'm telling you, Jesus wants to, wants to take you on the ride of your life, would you, would you let him do that today? Would you just give him your life completely, totally today and say, Jesus, I need you. Maybe there's tons of hard places in your life right now and you've not really known what to do with it, but today Jesus has given you some light to know where to step next. He's calling you to practice. Would you, would you be willing to do that and trust him for the power you do that today? Or maybe today you're not facing a lot of hard places, but you know people that are. Would you lift those folks up today? Would you be an encouragement to them? Would you speak truth to them? Do we want his kingdom to come here in our lives in this place? And this is what's required. In this messy, broken world, kingdom people, they just live it out. They just walk it out and let the chips fall where they may, because Jesus is all we need. So I wanna invite you to stand, and let's worship together. Let's give Jesus our lives today. What about that kingdom, people? If we all started living like that, like true kingdom people, we'll be in eight services next Sunday, because what people will see by the way you live your life outside of these walls, oh my gracious, because I just believe, tell me if you don't agree, I believe the world's hungry for Jesus, amen? I believe the world's desperate for different, amen? A holy kind of different. We need you, Jesus, come on, let's sing.